0: All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, if you would, Romans 3. Our study this morning uh, will be the last short statement here in Romans 3 before we actually arrive at the first salvation message. And of course, at that point, uh, Paul will begin to mention words like righteousness, justification, faith in Christ, Uh, atonement or substitutionary atonement, many, many other things. Now, for those of you who have been here every week since we have began this book, you probably have been waiting for that to begin because Paul has spent a whole lot of time dealing with the subject of sin. And for that matter, I believe it's very important that we actually see this transition, which won't happen till next week, But it's good that we see this transition because it should affect how you and I share the gospel. Folks, it's important that we know that people will never, ever grasp that they need a Savior until they first comprehend that they're sinners. And a lot of people never think about that. So that's what Paul does here. He spends a lot of time dealing with issues of sin a long time, until he finally comes to the point, now let me share with you how to overcome that. Let me share with you where there's freedom. Let me share with you how there's forgiveness. And he begins to share in the gospel. Now, all of us uh, in our time, we have been brought up in this world uh, through books, through media, uh, even some liberal churches who have been telling us for decades that man is inherently good. Even though Uh, we see murder, we see uh, mayhem, we see immorality, we see depravity. Every single day, people still have this mindset that, well, as long as I'm not like them, I must be okay. People think that all the time. They do not understand that God's standard of righteousness is not society's opinion of how one person is better than the other. That's not how God thinks. That's not what his standards are. We live in a time where churches are literally not teaching biblical truth. And therefore, what I call flannel graph theology, which they learned when they were seven years old, is all many Christian adults can comprehend. They still hold to this ridiculous notion that asking Jesus into your heart is a salvation message. It's pathetic sin in all its forms must be discussed. That's why Paul spends so much time doing it. But it must be discussed so Christians can learn how to converse with those who are non-believers and they can understand why Jesus Christ came to die. Not just as some historical event. Why did he come to sacrifice his life? Well, as you know, in our study thus far here in Romans, Paul has been dealing with the Gentiles as well as with the Jews as it pertains to their sin. And of course, ultimately, that is the sin of all mankind. Now, in particular, since the beginning of chapter 2, Paul has been pretty tough on the Jews because the Jews are the ones who felt that they had a free ride Because of their heritage, okay? Jesus deals with this many times in the Gospels. Being physical descendants of Abraham, which they were, right? But being physical descendants of Abraham, they believed that they had uh, a heavenly or an eternal destiny that was written in stone, right? I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm heaven-bound, Being God's chosen people, being the Jews, they felt the same thing. Being circumcised according to the covenant, once again in their minds, secured their salvation. In his commentary on the book of Moses, Rabbi Mennekin wrote, Our rabbis have said that no circumcised man will ever see hell. I quoted a couple weeks ago, I can't remember the name of the book, and I, I would butcher it anyway. But it, it, it literally says that Abraham sits at the gates of hell and will not allow any circumcised Israel, Israelite to enter there. These beliefs, folks, were and many still believe, are just ingrained in their minds to the degree that even the Jews in the church at Rome, remember Paul's writing to the church at Rome, even the Jews in the church at Rome had a hard time letting this go which is why Paul's writing about it, right? You would kind of think in your mind, why would Paul need to talk about this stuff? He's talking to the church, right? Well, the church and the Bible are professing believers. Doesn't mean they're all rock solid. Doesn't mean they're all super mature. It just means they're part of the church. So here, even the Jews, they had a hard time letting this theology go. So all this being said, Paul did not hold back on his Jewish brothers in the church. He told them boldly that there is no protection from punishment simply because of your Jewishness. Matter of fact, he said in chapter 3, verse 9, Jew and Gentile alike, he puts them both together, he says, are all under sin. Well, after making that statement, Paul felt the best thing that he could do to prove to them that all people are under sin, Jew and Gentile, he felt the best thing he could do would simply use the Old Testament, right? Use the Jewish scriptures. And by doing this, Paul is saying, I tell you what, guys, I don't want there to be any confusion amongst us. I'm going to use your scriptures to make my point. It's kind of like if he was speaking to them directly, I'm going to use what you believe, to make my point, just so you don't think I'm giving you a hard time. And so that's exactly what he does. And so as a reminder, I'm just going to read this real quick for you. Chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, which is what we talked about prior, okay? And it's going to see that, uh, talk about um, the heart, if you will, of the unregenerate man. And so please remember, as Remember this text as we go through it, because I'm going to refer back to it many times. I won't go back and read it, but I'm going to refer back to it a few times today. So keep in mind what I'm reading here. But it says, starting in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul's saying here, as it is written, he says, There is no one righteous. He says, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And listen to this. He says, Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way, and the way of peace they do not know. And here's where it says it all: there is no fear of God before their eyes. He's talking about every single human being. Okay? Every single person. The Jews didn't think, well, that's not us. We're right, we're saved. We're good to go. We're Jews. He says, no, listen to this. He says, here's the Old Testament scripture. This is everyone. Right? We're all burdened down with sin. And without, of course, the regenerative work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the very heart of man, they're doomed. Man is doomed. Now, if you're like me, you can testify that before Christ, this was you. This was me. This is just describing who I was, right? It's impossible, folks, to read those verses and ignore the fact, even today, this is, that just describes the very world we live in. All in those verses. And in context, right, which of course, as you know, this was written in the first century, in context, if you were a Jew, it would have been pretty hard to read those verses without knowing that you too were depraved, and therefore, just like the Gentiles you were facing wrath of God. And because of that, as we will see once again next week, there's only one answer. There's only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one explanation, not one excuse, if you will, will please God when you stand before him, except having your faith in Christ and Christ alone. There is no, I went to church. There is no, but I'm a Jew. There is no, I grew up in Sunday school. It's Christ and Christ alone. Now, this morning, we're going to finish this section by just looking at a couple of verses, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now, as we look at these verses, remind yourself, okay, remind yourself that we're coming off of Verses 10 through 18. I just read them to you, right? That's what we're coming off of. This is the whole of the context, okay? Paul just quoted numerous scriptures, all from the Old Testament, okay? And so these two verses that we're going to be looking at this morning are Paul drawing a conclusion from those scriptures. He used those scriptures for a reason, right? He's going to draw from those this morning that every single person, doesn't matter who you are, are lost in your sin. And therefore, you are under God's judgment. Okay, And of course, this is more so for the Jews who didn't, didn't think that. But it's talking about everyone. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20 where it says this. Coming off once again of those verses, verses 10 through 18, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, it is through the law that we become conscious of sin. Now, as Paul begins here in verse 19, he begins, as you can see, with three simple words. Now we know. The words there, we know, it means we know with certainty. Okay, We know with certainty. In today's slang, you might say it's a no-brainer. Okay, I like how the new living translation uses it. It just simply says obviously. Okay? It's a given Paul is saying that what I'm about to tell you is not debatable. We know this. Okay? Now, what is not debatable is that everyone, he doesn't say everyone except for you Jews, is that everyone is going to be held accountable. To God. okay, And this, as you know, if you've been here, has been put together and discussed ever since Paul began building his case. And that is since the beginning of chapter 2, where he speaks specifically to these confused Jews in the church at Rome. And as I said earlier, it all culminated in chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, which are those verses that I just read previously, where Paul gave a plethora of Old Testament scripture. And he did so to prove that there are no exceptions. Okay? No matter what the Jews thought of themselves, no matter how secure they felt about their eternal destiny, they are going to stand in line and be judged right next to the Gentiles, right? Paul said earlier in chapter 2, God does not show favoritism. You don't get to walk up to the pearly gates and hand him your card that says, I'm a Jew. Okay, come on in. He says it doesn't work that way. And so with that understanding, Paul now says in verse 19, we know, right? We know, he says, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Now, there are two things that I want to point out here. Number one is Paul's use of the word law, okay? Now, listen, this is not a serious issue, just so you know. This is not deep and theological. It's just something that I want you to understand and know as we look at Scripture together, okay? As you know, when you see that word law, most of the time when we see it, it's being applied to the Pentateuch, Right? Pentateuch, also known as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, the books of Moses, right? But most of the time, it's just labeled the law. The first five books are the law, okay? Here, though, because he's concluding about what he just said in verses 10 through 18, which, by the way, not one of those verses was from the law. Every one of those verses came from the Psalms or the prophets, okay? Not one of those verses came from the Pentateuch. Therefore, Paul is using the word law here, and he's applying it to the Old Testament as a whole. I say that because many times we simply simply look at a word and assume this. Okay, But as you know, and I've said it many, many times, the context will always define the meaning of the word. So here, when he says the word law, he's simply talking about all the verses that he just got through reading, none of which... Once again, we're from the first five books. They're all from Psalms and the prophets. Okay? Now, just to prove this to you, because I want you to understand where I'm coming from, we mentioned this morning don't just believe something because I said so, right? Turn your Bibles real quick over to the Gospel of John. Just to prove the point, I want you to see this for your own benefit. John chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus here is dealing with the Jews. And by the way, in the Gospel of John, when it says the Jews, it's typically the Jewish leaders. It's not just a group of Jewish people. So he's dealing with the Jewish leaders. In chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus simply says, Is it not written in your law? And he quotes, I have said you are God's. Right? He's talking to the Jewish leader. Is it not written in your law, which is what? That's the Jewish law. That's the Pentateuch, that I have said you are God's? Well, folks, here's the kicker. That quote comes from Psalm 82.6. But yet Jesus says, isn't that written in your law? But it comes from Psalm. So once again, you see where Jesus is using that, not necessarily as the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, but the Old Testament, the Old Covenant itself. We'll just stick here. I'll just do one more. Uh, move over to John chapter 15. Just move forward a few pages in your Bible. John chapter 15, verse 25. Same kind of situation. Many of you know the context here. Uh, Jesus says very simply, listen to me. If they hate me, if they hate, they're going to hate you. If you stand where I stand, they're going to hate you just as much as they hate me. And then he comes to verse 25 and he says, But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, their meaning the Jews. This was written in their law. They hated me without reason. Once again, where he quotes their law, it comes from Psalm 35 as well as Psalm 69. But yet he calls the Jewish, he says, quoted in your law. You see what I'm saying? I hope this is making sense to you. I just want to help you to understand that not every time we see that means it's coming from those first five books. Okay? So here Paul begins to conclude, as you can see, uh, what he just said in verses 10 through 18, which as I just said, everything there was quoted um, from the Psalms and the prophet. Okay, Now, all of this What I just got through telling you is, once again, is not deep and theological. It's not a big to-do, okay? It's not going to change the context, if you will. But as you know me, I simply want you to always uh, understand what Scripture is trying to teach us, okay? Too many times, Christians simply look at a word and make it mean one thing, right? Sometimes we look at the word saved and we automatically think of salvation, That's not always the case. Matter of fact, the word salvation means to deliver from, okay? Sometimes even the word salvation is not necessarily talking about justification or being born again, okay? But we do that a lot. So sometimes as we go through texts like this, I just want to use it as an opportunity to encourage you to not do that. Always be aware of the immediate context if you really want to understand what the Scripture uh, is giving us. Now, the second thing that I wanted to point out is why, right? Why did Paul say in verse 19, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law? Why did, why did Paul feel that he needed to say this as it's pretty obvious that the law is made for those who are under the law? It should seem pretty obvious. But Paul knows, folks, the stubbornness of some of these Jews and what they believed. As you know, he used to be just like them, didn't he? He knows that some of these Jews are going to read this letter. And more specifically, they're going to read chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, which I just quoted to you earlier. They're going to read those things, and they're automatically going to be applied to those those immoral, uncircumcised, lawless, who? Gentiles. That's what they're going to think. It was them, that God's judgment is being talked about. It's them who need to worry about what happens after death. And so even though it might sound kind of apparent when he says the law is for those under the law, what Paul is saying is, that's for you. It's for you Jews. You are included in all of this. Okay. Why do you think I gave you Old Testament scriptures? Why do I think I gave you the Jewish scriptures? It's like he's saying, I'm talking to you. See? So yes, there's no question these verses do apply to Gentiles, but they also include you. God's judgment is not going to exclude a certain people group, even if they're Jews. It's not going to happen. Okay? Okay? And so by pushing this and pushing this and pushing this, since the last chapter, in chapter 2, he finishes here in verse 19 by saying, every mouth will be silenced. The word silence there means to be closed. It will be shut up. Okay, And then he says the whole world will be held accountable to God. Now, by every mouth being silenced, he's saying here that, no one will have a defense, okay? There's nothing that anybody will be able to say. There's no excuse that you can give, right? What does he say? The whole world. Not the whole world except so-and-so and so-and-so and so. The whole world, he says, will be held accountable. Accountable. In other words, it's not just those filthy, immoral, uncircumcised, lawless Gentiles. It's you Jews as well. And for that matter, it's you Jews who should have known better. Right? We discuss this in chapter 2. It was the Jews and the Jews only. No other nation on the planet was given the very law, the very word of God. None. The Jews should have known better. And so he says, but there's no excuse here. It's not just for the Gentiles it's for you. To quote William Hendrickson, he says, he says this kind of as an illustration of what Paul is saying. He says, look at everyone will stand in front of God, the judge. The records will be read. And as it were, one by one, the accused are given an opportunity to answer the charges that were made against them. However, their guilt having been exposed, they have no answer. Their mouths are silenced. They're stopped. Folks, not one person can argue on his own defense that he's not guilty of sin. None. And so he's saying, he, he's saying here, when you stand before God, all mouths will be silenced. You're not going to have any excuse. You're not going to say, oh, that's not me. I never did that. I never broke your law. I was perfect. Nobody will be able to say anything because they're guilty. Right? That's what he's trying to say. The law lays out God's moral standards. And if anything, it illustrates man's inability to keep it. Right? So how does Paul close out this section before he shares the gospel? Verse 20. Oh, go back. He says, therefore, therefore simply means because of what I just said, Therefore, what? No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, it is through the law that we become conscious of sin. Listen, it's very simple. No one, he says, will be declared righteous by observing the law. You know why? Because no one can observe the law. It's, it's, it's clear as it is, you, nobody, nobody will be found righteous by observing the law because no one can observe the law. The word observe, by the way, uh, means works, it means deeds. Okay. He's talking about how people think that they can earn their salvation through the law. He says no one can do that. They just can't. The point being is that it's not going to happen. Matter of fact, it can't happen, he says. And that was never its intent in the first place. See? That was never the intent. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. If you remember back, we studied the book of Galatians not too long ago. The whole entire book of Galatians, it's a short book, but is about law versus grace. That's the whole book. But he says in Galatians 2, 16, he says, know that a man is not justified by observing the law. He's not justified by works of the law. He's not justified by deeds of the law. He says, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He he says, therefore, we too have put our faith in Christ so that we can be justified by faith and not by observing the law. And then he repeats it. Because by observing the law, by your deeds, by your works, no man will be justified. No one. I don't care who you are, he says. Okay? Folks, trying to live underneath the law is only going to give you a death sentence. A spiritual death sentence. The law is there as a means of discovering what sin is. I hope we understand that. The law gives us knowledge of what sin is. Not just sin, but our sin. Your own sin. And that, my friends, was its purpose. He says, I just read it, verse 20. Rather, he says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Right? Folks, if you were to take the moral law of God and hang it on your living room wall, you see it every day, you know what it's going to show you? That you failed. You're not going to walk in there and go, man. <laughs> look, I'm doing pretty good. All right, yeah. It's not going to happen. You're going to walk in there and go, hey. Uh, oh, whew, that's a oh, hmm hmm. Every time it's going to show you failed. Every time. Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-four. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That we can be justified by faith. Do you see that? The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. The purpose of the law isn't keep trying, try again, keep at it, work hard. The purpose is hey, guess what? You can't. That's the purpose. He's saying you can't. You keep sinning. And therefore, guess what? You need a Savior. You keep sinning, and you keep sinning, and you keep sinning. You need a Savior, and as we know, there's only one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the purpose. Matter of fact, speaking about himself, Paul's talking about himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Paul says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law didn't say, don't covet if there, was no, if there was nothing there, he would just say, hey, cruising along, right? But once it says, don't covet, he goes, oh, All right? Two verses later, chapter 7, verse 9, Paul says, once I was alive apart from the law. In other words, without the law, staring him in the face, he says, I was alive. But then the commandment came, the commandment of do not covet. And then he says, sin sprang to life, and I died. In other words, for the very first time, folks, Paul realized that he was spiritually dead. He's doing his thing and doing his thing and doing his thing, and all of a sudden now you look at the law and he says, ooh, I screwed up, ooh, I failed, ooh, I sinned. The law proved to him that, oh, man, I'm a mess. And he talks about it in that section. Man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I'd love to do, I I don't end up doing. But he says it was because of the law that proved to him those very things. And so for the Jews in this church here in Rome, they were spiritually confused. It's similar, by the way, to the teachings of the Judaizers. Uh, The Judaizers would teach people that, okay, Christianity is fine, but you need to be circumcised and obey the law still. That was their whole viewpoint. And this is kind of what's happening here. So is it possible that they were following some teachings of the Judaizers? Maybe, maybe, but that's seemingly where they're at. They're in the church, but yet they're somehow still holding on to the law. But as I stated earlier, the major problem that Paul was addressing here was the issue of a false spiritual security. The Jews felt secure in their heavenly destiny. They just felt in the heart of heights, I am heaven bound. I'm a Jew, descendant of Abraham. I've been circumcised. I'm going to heaven. When I die, boom. Right? Because I'm a Jew, that's where I'm going to spend eternity. It's a false sense of spiritual security. But the final verdict, according to God Himself, Is that unredeemed mankind has no defense whatsoever and will be found guilty on all charges. Everyone. And that's why, starting in the next verse, which we will begin next week, Paul is going to tell them you know what? There is a way. There is a way, but it's not through the law, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he brought all of this up since the beginning of chapter 2 that we've studied in the last few weeks. And now he says, but here's, here's the way. This is not the way. You're lost, you're struggled. If you will, you're bound for hell like everybody else who rejects Jesus Christ. But now he says, that's not going to do anything for you, but let me show you who can. And that's where he will begin to talk about Christ. Because he spent a lot of time talking about sin. And once again, I think it's important we take that as an example that the gospel really needs, we, people need to understand their sinners, their okay? It's like you see Ray Comfort. Remember I put a video up a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago of Ray Comfort? How many people know who Ray Comfort is? Some of you? You know, when he goes out witnessing, he just simply asks people questions. Do you think you're going to go to heaven? Well, yeah. Okay. He says, have you ever lied before? <laughs> You know, he'll ask a guy, have you ever lusted after a woman? Okay, maybe. And he, he asks them questions like this. And so he'll look at him right in the face. And so you told me now that you're a lying, cheating, adultering, blah, blah, blah. And you think you're going to heaven? But it's, it's, it's a simple way of doing it because it's helping them understand they are, they are liars. They have stole before. They have had bad thoughts. They have had... And that's not how that works. So he helps them understand, bottom line is, you are sinful but that's okay. Christ died for you. What will you do with Jesus Christ? But he starts off with sin. Okay, and that's what we need to do as well. But next week we'll begin with the greatest message of all, right—the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can um, go through this today. It's—it's it's, for lack of better terms, it's the very last part of uh, where Paul is dealing with the issue of sin, where he pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. So there will be no misunderstanding that they, the Gentiles, the Jews, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. We're all under sin. We all deserve death and hell. And it's great to know that as we begin our study next time, there, of course, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Righteousness can be had, but it must come through faith. Help us to understand that, Lord, and never leave it and, and hold on to our eternal security because of it, because it's not based on what we can do. It's based on what Christ has done for us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.